In southwest France in 1940, some teenagers came upon some paintings inside of the Lascaux Caves. What they saw were some rough drawings of animals, some human figures, and abstract signs that were drawn on the inside walls of these caves. These drawings were really old. They think they go back to 17,000 BP. BP is a measure of time that they use in geology quite often, and it refers to before present. Just a side note, though, it's actually before 1950. But either way you look at it, they are super old. Hi, it's John. You're listening to the Access Potential Podcast. This isn't the only case of old wall art expression. In the Italian archaeological site of Pompeii, there are even some signs of graffiti dating back to 78 BC. It reads something like, Gaius Permidius Diphilus was here. The desire or even the need to express ourselves publicly has seemingly always existed. These early areas are just the beginning of what we can see. Of course, it hasn't just been the case with artistic drawings on walls, but also musically and rhythmically, and of course, the written and spoken word as well. But for now, let's go back to these drawings on the walls. Graffiti and street art continued, and in the 20th century, it really blew up into the mainstream's awareness. This happened mostly in New York and really around 1970. Around this time, there was a street photographer named Martha Cooper who came into the New York graffiti scene. Cooper eventually met a young graffiti art practitioner named Dondi, who was one of the most important artists in his generation. Dondi allowed Cooper to document his work. He allowed her a golden ticket, basically a pass into the world of graffiti so that she could document everything that was happening in real time. Cooper's photographs and images were then published in a book called Subway Art, which became a popular pillar of the graffiti subculture. This documentation brought distribution to the artwork. The writing on the walls no longer was just seen by people passing the subway lines or on the street. This allowed the culture to be expressed from inside the collective to outside the collective. There was communication because the work, the culture, the movement, the imagery was amazing. It was remarkable. There was enough positive pressure for it to spread out. So we all talked about it and it ended up in bookshops and the book became significant. There are other areas of graffiti and street art that has continued to grow, change and influence a lot of what we do. It's been seen in high fashion and also work from Artists such as the mysterious Banksy, who was a big influence for me when I was at high school in about 2001, doing stencil artwork at school. Uh, works from Banksy can be purchased by at Sotheby's Art Brokers. So as a side note, you can pick up a Banksy print 50 by 70 centimeter girl with balloon, one of 600, for up to around $112,000 Australian. So this stuff has crossed over completely into different parts of the culture, not even within street art or graffiti. In graffiti, there's often a tag, a mark of someone, a mark of territory. 
The location where the work is done could be particularly difficult to reach. It could be particularly public. It could be really big or small. And then, of course, we've got variation in the work itself. So like the intricacies, the style of the work. Then we've got street art, which is really artwork done in an urban setting. Broader expression of ideas around something that's going on in society or in the culture. And while there's a huge amount of variation across all of this, one thing that all graffiti art and street art has in common is the platform. It's visible. It's public. Of course, now, yes, some of it has distribution. You can buy a Banksy print or a T-shirt. Before, though, before to cross over this chasm into mainstream, to qualify to be called street art, it had to be done out there. It had to be done in the street in public. Other subcultures have gone through similar patterns as we're noticing here as we introduce this idea of distribution. Extreme sports, parkour, surfing, skateboarding, even the movement cultures exploded as this ability to express something, a trick, a message, a style, has been catalyzed and fueled by mostly social media, but also other forms of distribution. The expression itself the distribution itself, the ability to say, hey, check out this thing over here that I did, has been part and parcel of the growth. It has fueled the explosion. It's made us able to talk about it. The distribution is what heightens the ability to express to a broader culture. The distribution spiked the rate of development in a lot of these cultures and sports. And almost magically, it blended one into another to create completely new styles, completely new ways of thinking about how we're doing what we do. The distribution has allowed us to bend cultures through bringing in a new point of view, new ideas, new ways of thinking. So now we're going to pivot and talk a little bit about journaling. Journaling is a popular practice. Many will call it a high-performance habit, a daily routine. It allows us to write out our thoughts, either structured or as a form of self-review or self-reflection, or unstructured as some form of consciousness dumping to become aware of an inner narrative. Self-awareness is a big driver here in both cases. And then depending on the nature of the piece, sometimes also the practice itself of writing. But when we look at journaling we notice it one thing, and that's that it remains in our journal. Typically, it remains inside. In this case, we aren't looking for distribution. In the world of graffiti art or street art, this doesn't count, and there's a really good reason why. So here I need to pause. This is not against journaling. Rather, this is just looking at what happens when the thought goes from inside the journal to outside the journal, what happens once we express something to the broader culture? What happens once we add the potential for distribution? What happens when we articulate it and metaphorically paint it on the walls as a point of view for all of the public to see? In the graffiti culture, an art piece can be a positioning statement and even bring a status shift the size, the quality, the location. It can be a challenge, a way of thinking about what's possible that's new, an invitation or inspiration for someone else to do something different. 
But in graffiti, there's also risk. It can go wrong. It can be illegal. You could be caught, kicked out before the work's even finished, before your signature piece is done. Or you could be rushed and the message not ending up clear. And when we look at status shifts due to the work, once it's done, it needs to be maintained. You're only as good as your last work. The culture moves on. So there's a necessity to show up again, to contribute to the culture in your own way in an ongoing basis. So when we bring distribution to our practice of writing, when we change our expressing and articulating from an inside job of journaling to an outside job, let's say blogging, we see a shift in a lot of areas. It's a completely different thing. The changes, though, seem to come through this idea of distribution. It's the distribution which brings us the ability to be seen, to be exposed. So when we move it to an online platform, we immediately have infinite distribution. In one change, choosing where we write our words from the journal to the blog, we've gone from creating basically the equivalent of stencil artwork in the back of our school textbook in our rooms at home to expressing on the walls of a public building, of sending our message to the broader culture. In graffiti, of course, if you were to do this, you're bringing legal risk, emotional risk, physical risk into the picture. With our writing in 2019, it feels like we're bringing legal risk, emotional risk physical risk into the picture but really we bring only emotional uncertainty or discomfort thoughts like there's no point what if nobody likes it I don't know what to say what if I don't have anyone who read it what if I can't think of anyone to talk about I don't have a point of view not just what if I fail with what I do but what if my work's rejected what if I'm rejected So here I'm specifically going to talk about publishing a daily expression online. I'll use the word blog, but it could be another form of artwork or music. It could be on a social platform, but it has a couple of rules. It's published daily and it's an assertion. An assertion means that it's a thought that you have about something today. And also note that we're using the word published. It's important here to note our ability to play tricks on ourselves. It's published in a way that's easy for people to access it. It's not published in Spanish if you're living in an English culture. It's not hidden in the mystification of intellectual words or woo-woo that can confuse people and confound people. These are called bypasses, and bypasses are a form of hiding. So from both a selfish and a generous position at the same time, If we want to see what all of this stuff can do for us as a practice, the rule has to be it's not hidden. It needs to be clear and easily found. This practice of blogging each day was introduced to me in mid-2017 by a marketer, Seth Godin. And I do really love Seth's work. I personally consider him more as a teacher of awareness, of intent, of impeccability, rather than just marketing. So anyway, I towed the line for a while. And for me, I'd say it didn't feel as much of this fear, but more was an uncertainty as whether or not it would be worthwhile. 
But when I think about it, perhaps this uncertainty was simply how my fear was showing up at the time. Anyway, I began on December 12th, 2017. Since then, there's been over 450-odd posts, 130-page ebook. You can download on the site and a lot more. So today, I wanted to dive into this and share three important things that I've seen come out of it, which makes writing daily a worthwhile practice and something I recommend. And the first is a realization. It's a realization that just as the graffiti artist isn't going to rock up at 1am and stand at the wall of the building and simply wait for inspiration, because let's be honest, they don't have time to do this, they've got urgency. You too will realize something interesting about your own thoughts and processes. By, by brute forcing the practice itself, you'll see that you too don't necessarily need to wait for inspiration to create your work or to create art, to put something out, to make an assertion. You can do it right now. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have streaks of inspiration where we can create some gold and then that it doesn't get hard sometimes because it does. But when we know we have to see something to create something, then slowly, somehow, without us even knowing it, we create a sort of messy mechanism in order to get the job done. We become comfortable with knowing that we need to create, express, or articulate even though right in this moment, we might not have the faintest idea at all about what's to come. So to me, the only way that I think all of this comes about is because of the frequency. If the posting is ad hoc, weekly or monthly, there's far too much time to arm and ah about it. What will I say? What will I write? It's too tempting to look around and see what other people are doing, too tempting to create something too similar to someone else's post. So in essence, we come to realize that the act of knowing you have to sit down to write something teaches you to observe, formulate thoughts, and be able to express them more readily, more easily. You're sending yourself the message that you need to be able to do this every day. So guess what? You get better at doing it every day. And this knowing seems to start to run in the background even when you're not posting a blog. So it's really empowering because you get to see that you can always be observing, creating, noticing, that we don't need to wait around for something to inspire us. What are you seeing now? What's happening right now? These observations become kernels of thought, kernels of points of view, assertions, and thus post something to share. In the Access Potential program, we have group calls twice a month. Sometimes we know the topics and other times we diverge and we call out on people. We're looking for instantaneous feedback. Tell us what you see. What now? Over time, this is immensely powerful. and It's a cool little effect that now that you feel there's something worth saying, something that may positively influence part of the culture, you find yourself passively consuming less. Why would we have mindless consumption if there's the opportunity for expression? Okay, secondly, we have a shift in how we process the emotion that's involved with putting something out, the apparent emotional risk that's involved. A shift in how we move through the fear of creating, of putting something out there, of expressing ourselves. 
So typically the process goes a little bit like this, something which I think all of us have experienced at some point. We decide to put something out, create something, write something. Then we have this back and forth battle. Stephen Pressfield calls this the resistance. Occasionally, we actually pull the trigger and we put it out there. The reluctant final publication happens. Then we start this back-checking process, this wondering, waiting for a reply, looking for something to happen, wondering how it went, wondering how it was received. Depending on how that goes, we go into some form of hiding. We wait until we recover some of our energy, our inspiration, our personal power. Then, reluctantly and eventually, we do it all again. This is a cycle between the tensions of wanting to share, wanting to be seen, wanting to express, but then also feeling this risk, this emotional risk. Okay, so with blogging each day, maybe it's around post 80 or 100, there's all of a sudden this shift. The shift is that we see the silliness of the old fear cycle. There's a change. We see that we aren't putting ourselves out there. We're putting our work out there. And we come to realize that if we want to make any sort of change with our work in the culture and society, then literally we have to learn to do this. So the daily blog is just a really cool tool to help us teach this. This energy leakage that's involved in that previous fear cycle all of a sudden disappears. And we see that maybe for years it was holding us back like a handbrake while we're trying to drive in first gear. So once the handbrake is off, we start to operate faster, smoother. It gets a little bit easier. So even though this feeling might still be there, it becomes a bump in the road. It's minor. It's not this big brick wall that stops us in our tracks. The frequency, the necessity behind expressing the idea created enough positive pressure that we learned to get out of our own way just a little bit quicker. But here's the important thing, right? It all started with defining the frequency and the intention to create. It didn't start with courage. It didn't start with inspiration. It didn't start with knowing how it would all work out. It didn't start with any financial reward. The ability to move through this fear and put our work out there to the world to try to make some sort of a change simply started with trusting a process and then creating a practice. So the cool thing about this ability to move through the fear, the emotional uncertainty, and put something out there that we stand behind is it's transferable. It's an asset. It's like a a skill that we can take with us into other projects and other environments. So in this way, the daily expression literally becomes a tool, a tactic, helps us to cultivate personal power, helps us to foster our self-sufficiency, to realize that our work is our work. It's not us. If everything fails and the work or idea is a flop, then we find out that, what do you know, we're still okay. And furthermore, if we really want to make some change, make this impact, then we can use this positive cycle we've created and learn to get, out of, get our work out there just a little bit more effectively. Okay, thirdly, last one. We learn to see and cultivate our own point of view own point of view. What does that look like? So when the average Australian is spending around six hours per day actively online, plugged into Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, podcast, Twitter, more and more and more inputs, developing our own point of view can be very difficult. 
In fact, it's impossible. I'll say it again. If we don't have practices that allow a space to see what's going on in the world around us, and then practices which ask us to express, it's impossible to develop a point of view. Because on the other sides of these coins, the inversion of space, the other side of space and expression, we have no space or inundation, and then we have suppression. So what does it mean? Well, we find our own thoughts that we can stand behind start to come a little bit more easily. What do you see? What do you think? What is your assertion? Not your friends, not your textbooks, not the guy on the podcast, not the culture, not the Instagram feed, not the group who you're really associated with and immersed in, not from the workshop, but you based on your experience. And of course, here's where we uncover all the really good stuff as a group. Not the education, but the experience, the observations, the initiative, the flavors that each of us can bring to the table the fabric of our own lives that we get to share as creation, ideas, innovation, contribution. We don't need more of the same. We need more of what lies a few layers down for each of us. And the practice of daily expression or blogging can help us create this and bring it to light. And for sure, there's a lot of other upsides. We improve our writing, we share ideas, we cultivate empathy and a deeper ability to observe what's going on. We can build an asset of trust. We can learn how to communicate more effectively. And who knows, we might even be able to create a little bit of an impact with all of that. So graffiti art isn't likely to make you much money unless you're Banksy. And unfortunately, a blog isn't going to either. You might have no followers. You might get no replies. You might get stuck, not know what to write. You might rewrite the same post 10 times, then delete it in frustration. It takes time. It takes energy. But the payoff is huge. In a world where it can often feel like the narrative of the general society is working to crush your personal power, Seeing that by observing the world around us, cultivating a thought and point of view, and then expressing and articulating this point of view, that we can change this, that we can recultivate our own personal power, is a really cool tool. So if you're journaling, great. Start publishing a blog as well. See what happens. I'm fairly certain that for this shift to happen, it has to be published, it has to be clear, and it cannot be hidden. No hiding. Do what used to be the impossible. Basically, you're able to paint your artwork on the wall, write your message, amplify it with the platform, use the distribution, reach the people that you're after, and see what happens. And then if you're already putting your work out there once in a while, you're writing a blog for your personal page or for a business, try going daily and see what happens, and you might be pleasantly surprised. That's it for episode two. If you have any questions on any of the episodes, send them to me on the email, john at johntmarsh.com, and I'll address them in a future episode. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed any part of this, please share it with a friend and I will see you on the next one.